Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Christ is risen, indeed he is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. Very soon, I will no longer be greeting you with Christ is risen because he will have not only risen, but ascended. In fact, that's coming up this week in the liturgical calendar. Ascension Thursday, 40 days after the resurrection of Christ, still celebrated on Thursday itself on the 40th day after Pascha, the resurrection, celebrated on that Thursday in the Byzantine liturgical calendar and many other calendars as well, but not all calendars. Before we go any further, I want to thank those of you who have been listening and also writing to us. Most recently, Craig and Patricia Wagner. They are from Utica, Illinois. We've heard from them before, and we are always happy to hear from them again and again. And they thank us for our Light of the East program, which they say, may the Lord bless your work abundantly. And may God bless you abundantly for your abundant kindness to us, Craig and Patricia Wagner from Utica, Illinois. I also want to say hello and thank you to someone who I don't know if we've met before, but we're meeting actually in a sense through a book and through our radio program. His name is Archpriest Michael D. Kirkland. He is a priest of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church out of New Albany, Ohio. And out of the blue, I received a book that he wrote, a recent book called Being Catholic. But also I received a note in the book, and in it he said to me, your radio programs are wonderful. Pray for unity. God bless, Father Michael. Well, thank you, Archpriest Michael. I'm very impressed by that because I don't know if we've ever met. You are an Orthodox priest, and we always appreciate the fact whenever our brothers and sisters of the Orthodox faith do appreciate our program and hopefully our, our message here, which is a message of unity. And that is the message and apparently the personal mission of Archpriest Michael D. Kirkland, because he sent me a book he just wrote called Being Catholic. And on the cover, it says, Amidst Scandals, a Papal Resignation, East and West Separated for Nearly 1,000 Years, and the Revolt of a Protestant Reformation, Being Catholic. Those are in big words on the cover that all may be one, what Pope and Patriarch must do to heal the Church of Christ in truth and humility, a new Pentecost for the one holy Catholic 
and Apostolic Church, a guidebook for unity and the new evangelization. And it also says, with blessings for the author from Pope Francis and Patriarch Bartholomew. Patriarch Bartholomew, of course, is the patriarch of the Greek Orthodox Church. He resides in Istanbul, which used to be Constantinople, and before that, Byzantium. And that, of course, is where the great church of Hagia Sophia, Holy Wisdom, is. Although now it has been, of course, back in the 15th century, it was overtaken by Islam. It was turned into a mosque, and now basically it is a museum. But very, very worthwhile to go and see. Everyone should make a pilgrimage, even though it's not being presented or used as a church per se. Believe me, when you walk in there, as I did, together with some of my brother priests a few years ago, Even though it's not a so-called church anymore, for us it truly still is. You can't take that away from it. And we walked into that church. We just very spontaneously did the sign of the cross and bowed. Probably could have gotten in trouble for that, but it was spontaneous. Because we know the spirit, the spirit of John Chrysostom and the saints and the magnificent liturgies that went on there. That, That spirit is still there. It's still in the walls and the ceiling and the domes of that place. You just can't remove it. It was the most incredible, largest church ever wrought by the hand of man. Just magnificent church. Hagia Sophia, Holy Wisdom. Now, a little bit more about Archpriest Kirkland's book. He also says here, what is Catholic? You notice he's been using this word Catholic, one holy Catholic, but apostolic. What does he mean by that? What is Catholic? What do the early church, East and West together, really teach? What about Mary priests, the real presence of Jesus in the Holy Eucharist? Ordination of female deacons in common date to celebrate Easter and Holy Pascha. Why doesn't the West know about the yearly miracle of orthodoxy, the holy fire that comes down at Christ's tomb in Jerusalem, or the Virgin Mary's plea for unity in a Damascus-Syria apparition? Now, all in one book, the facts will astound you. So, again, I want to thank Archpriest Michael D. Kirkland for sending me this book, and I will be looking through it. I have been looking through it, and I will be, once I study it further and complete my study of the book, my enjoyment of it as well, I think we'll contact Archpriest Michael and have him on the program and to talk about his book and also talk about what he and I certainly have in common. We have a number of things in common, although I don't know what we really know each other per se, but we have in common certainly a desire that all may be one. The same desire of Jesus Christ as we all should have. That's why I'm sitting behind this microphone. That's why we have this program, Light of the East. So I commend you, Archpriest Michael, for being bold and presenting this book and also for your kindness in sending it to me out of the blue. I truly appreciate it. I'll be studying it very carefully and most likely we will be getting in touch with you here on Light of the East to talk about your book. Speaking of becoming one, the feast day that is coming up this week The Feast of the Ascension of our Lord is certainly a unifying feast because all of the apostles came together with the Mother of God and they watched Jesus Christ as he ascended into glory. Once he had gathered everybody together, given them the commission. Remember when he appeared to them in the upper room, especially when Thomas was there? He breathed on them, gave them the commission to go baptize and teach all nations. He filled them with the Holy Spirit. The only thing left would be for the Holy Spirit to come down in the form of fiery tongues at Pentecost, which will come after ascension. And after having done all that, he gathered them all together, told them he was leaving them. He would always be with them. How would Christ always be with them and us? Through the church. The church becomes his body on earth. There are a number of images, analogies of the church. 
We oftentimes see the Virgin Mary as the symbol of the church, but also the church is the body of Christ himself on earth. He's no longer walking around with his two feet like he once did with the apostles, but he's still very much present, even physically present. He still has a body. And that body now becomes, in our time, since he ascended into heaven, that body becomes the church, and in particular, the Eucharist. The church is the only place where we can have this kind of intimacy with God. You just can't have it any other way, in any other form. You can't. We can have various forms of intimacy with God. Yes, we can experience God in many ways, and we should. That, of course, is what we mean by the sacramental liturgical worldview where we put on our sacramental glasses and we see the invisible God made visible through his own physical creation, through life, through events, even tragic ones, we see God at work. But in the most real way, the way that brings us actually the closest to our ultimate destiny in heaven, that way that is most real, a most intimate touch with heaven is exclusive to our experience of the liturgy in church. And in particular, the culminating moment of that, that is the Eucharist. But all church services, being in a church, everything about the church, the icons, the lights, the candles, the incense, everything is a way of making the invisible God truly present. It comes to its fullness in the Eucharist, but the church is vital to that intimate union with God. You cannot have it any other way. And why should we be one? First of all, it's what our Lord Jesus Christ desired. And that should be enough, enough set. But also because this is how we started out. This is what the intention was. That was our origin and our destiny because we will be all one in heaven. We'll still have our distinct identities, but we'll all be the one bride of the bridegroom Christ. And again, where do you experience that? How do you know what I'm saying is absolutely rock solid true? The proof This is what happens in the Eucharist, whether in the Eastern or Western churches, wherever there is our participation in the real presence of the Eucharist, we have a touch of heaven, a touch of God that is very visceral, very tangible. That's why we use our senses. That's why we need, as our Lord commanded, we need something physical. You can't just say, well, I have Christ in me without having physically present the bread and the wine that becomes Christ's body and blood. And we unite ourselves with him and he with us. This is a reality. Also, because unity is consistent with the Eucharist. Eucharist is about one bread. The one bread gets consecrated and divided up. As we say in the Eastern liturgy, we say, ever eaten but never consumed, broken yet not divided. So the Eucharist, the bread, is divided up But the church or the body of Christ itself is not divided. It's unified. It's a unifying factor. And so unity just makes sense. It's about being honest to our faith, to who Jesus Christ is. But also the fact that there's disunity is, quite frankly, ridiculous. It's unnecessary. And I think that seems to me as I'm perusing through Father Michael Kirkland's book, As I'm perusing through that, I get the impression this is part of his message too. Well, it's long overdue. For this disunity to stop. It is the great scandal that the body of Christ is so torn up and divided. So disunity is a scandal. Disunity is a cataclysmic, cosmic disaster. 
It shouldn't happen for a moment. But you know what the problem is? We tend to protect that disunity. We're so protective of our differences and why we can't take that step towards one another. And my question to you, to the whole church is, can you name something for me that is so horrible, so opposed to the other lung of the church? Can you name that thing that justifies the greatest scandal that can be? But this is what we do. We use things to justify, to protect this scandal. But what is that thing? What is so great that we insist that we cannot come to communion? We cannot be one, although we were for a thousand years. This is the question I think Father is taking up in his book. Certainly it's the question that we aim to address by our mission here on this program. So I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. Christ is risen. I am your host, Father Thomas Loya. I mentioned earlier that I won't be saying Christ is risen to you too much more. Maybe Christ has ascended, but for a short time, I'll be saying that. Then we'll go back to our ordinary time, as they would say in the Western Church. In the Eastern Church, we call it the Sundays after Pentecost. So we'll move beyond the Pentecostorian. The Pentecostorian is that liturgical period of the calendar in the Eastern Churches that runs from Pascha, the resurrection of our Lord, to Pentecost Sunday. We'll be moving out of that in just a couple weeks and getting back into ordinary time. Although the church's life, the life of Christ, is never ordinary. It's always a mystery and always full of unpredictable things. (laughs) You just have to hang on tight and run with it. That's what's called mystery. The mystery, of course, is one of the great hallmarks of Eastern spirituality. We love mystery. And mystery doesn't mean, oh, who done it? Like, like a murder mystery. It means something revealed and something hidden all at the same time. When we live in the intersection of those two complementary, seemingly contradictory realities, that's the fun of life. That's the spice of life, really. The spice of life is living in the both end. And that is, that is, I would say, more than anything else, perhaps the great or greatest genius of Eastern spirituality, which we are trying to be a evangelizer for on this program, Light of the East. Now, the Feast of the Ascension is very significant and very, very relevant. 
I'm going to show you why, because I'm going to read from some of the liturgical texts that we'll pray during this period of the Ascension. This is from the Vespers of Ascension Thursday. It says, The Lord ascended into heaven. And again, we would be singing this, we'd be chanting this. But I'll just read the text. The Lord ascended into heaven to send the Comforter into this world. The heavens prepared his throne and the clouds were his ladder. Okay, now we've got we've got a throne here. We're talking about a throne, talking about the heavens. So I'll continue. The angels marveled at the sight of a human being more exalted than themselves. Do you ever think of that? That we are more, human nature is more exalted than the angels? For one reason, because God himself took on that human nature and he took it back with him to heaven. And as the liturgical text said here, he is sitting on a throne and his clouds are his ladder. So we have human nature enthroned in a place higher than the angels. In fact, this is why Lucifer fell from grace, became Satan, because he was jealous knowing that this was going to happen, that the incarnation would not come through him, through the angels. It would come through a human person. For the angels figured were less than them because we were not fully spiritual, not totally spiritual like angels. That's true. However, we have something angels don't have, a human body. And it was that human body that Christ took on and elevated, mounted on the throne of heaven with him. This is why this is so significant. And it's relevant because if we can live the liturgy, take the liturgical text and the reality of the scriptural event, which again, remember, scripture becomes our story. Scripture is not just a history lesson. Scripture is, yes, the word of God, but is a mirror We're in that story. It is about us. And if we learn to live that, learn it and live by it, what affects how we live then? If we walk around with this idea that the human person, human nature is exalted, exalted even above the angels, how might that affect our attitude, our actions, our thoughts? If we allow that to affect our attitude and our actions and our thoughts, It would be a magnificent world, wouldn't it? Would it be so positive, so joyful, so tender, so loving, so deferential, so reverential to other human beings? There would be no fight. There would be no abuse. There would be no disrespect if we really lived it. See, this is why liturgy, church, going back to what we said earlier, is so incredibly vital because you get a message you don't hear anywhere else. And this message is a reality. You also get an immersion in that message so that you, in a sense, you walk out with it. Do you ever notice when you go to an Easter liturgy, when you come home, you smell like the church? You smell like incense? It's in your clothes? Well, that's good. That's part of this domestic church where we're supposed to take what we experience in church, where we touch God in a very kinesthetic, visceral, total level, and we're supposed to stretch that into our homes, like you're taking it with you, like you're stretching the church into your car, or if you walk to church, and you're putting it into your home, and also where you work and play and do everything. So what we experience in church and the scriptures that we read, the scriptural events that we immerse ourselves in through the liturgy are, in fact, supposed to determine our behavior. Let's look at some more of the text. Ascending in glory today from the Mount of Olives, 
Through your great love, you lifted up our fallen nature and enthroned it with the Father on high. So once again, there's yet another testimony in the text about this. I'll continue. Therefore, the bodiless powers were amazed and filled with awe at seeing your great love for all. Together with them, we who live on earth, glorify your condescension to us and your ascension away from us. See, do you recall that word condescension? Well, if you listened to our programs a few months ago around Christmas time, you would have heard us say that. And that's how the Eastern churches refer to the incarnation, to Christmas, the great condescension. God had to lower himself in order to raise himself and raise us up with him. He had to first lower himself. The fathers of the church in the East call that condescension. Okay, the text continued. Together with them, we who live on earth, glorify your condescension to us and your ascension away from us. Now we implore you, saying, through your ascension, you have filled your apostles and your mother with a joy that surpasses every other joy. And through their intercession, make us worthy of the joy of your elect, for you are rich in mercy. Here's another text. You have renewed in yourself, O Lord, the human nature which had fallen in Adam into the very depths of the earth. In this day you are raised far above the principalities and powers of heaven. Having so loved human nature, you granted that it may be enthroned with you. In your compassion, you united it with yourself. In union with it, you have suffered. And by your passion, you glorified it. O God, beyond all suffering, now the bodiless powers are saying, Who is this man clothed in majesty? He is not only a man, but is indeed the God-man, for he possesses the appearance of both. And the angels arrayed in splendid garments and circled the apostles, saying, As Jesus the God-man is separated from you in his divine humanity, he shall come again to judge both the living and the dead. And he grants to all the faithful forgiveness of sins and great mercy. Notice how in these events, an angel was always the messenger. Remember the incarnation, the annunciation? And then again at the tomb, women at the tomb, angels met them and told them about the resurrection. And then now here at the ascension, angels once again appear. But this time they give a bit of a warning and a reminder to the apostles, but also to us as well, especially us, that there's nothing else that needs to be done now in God's plan of salvation except the ending. He has established everything according to his original intent of his whole plan of salvation. He has sent the Holy Spirit. There's nothing else that God is going to do. It's not in that way. Yes, God is active, of course, in our lives in every moment and every event and so on. We're talking about in terms of I'll call it a task of salvation, of the plan of salvation. All the tasks are done. And we await then the second coming. But we have to live in the meantime according to the life of Christ. So that when he does come again in judgment, as the angels warn the apostles, our judgment will be favorable. As we stand before, as we say in the liturgical text, the fearsome judgment seat of Christ, the terrible tribunal of Christ. Yes, that's true. I was talking to some people recently, and they mentioned to me how so many of their friends really don't take the last judgment seriously or judgment of any kind seriously. They don't take the fact that 
heaven is a challenge to get into seriously. This is a big problem today. But if we keep ourselves close to the liturgy, to the scriptures, the church, the life of the church, we will come to understand in the right way and hopefully be vigilant, be ready. One more point about the church's presentation on the ascension. The icons are always consistent with the liturgy and the liturgical text. The icon of the ascension is very interesting. It's very typical of that two parts of the icon, the higher attic and the narrative. The narrative is the story, what's happening on earth in the human form, and usually a lot of motion. Things are incomplete. They're always in process. And then above that, usually in the top half of the icon is the higher attic. In other words, the more static because they're perfect. It's Christ or the Virgin Mary because they're in heaven now. They don't have to change anymore. And so the ascension icon has this division, this unity with division in the icons very, very clearly. It's a magnificent icon in which the angels are looking up and the apostles looking up, just as liturgical text said to us. And they're wondering, who is this? What is this phenomenon that a human being, human nature, rises above the angels and is enthroned on the throne of heaven. It's magnificent faith that we have, magnificent, magnificently expressed in the liturgy and the iconography, the art, the life of the church. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. More to Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchak. More to Life is about living the Catholic difference in our marriages, our families, the way we approach life in general. It's about celebrating life and our Catholic faith and discovering all the ways God wants to bless us and help us be a blessing to others. More to Life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchak. Weekdays, 10 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.